I super enjoyed having Dr. Gimba here last Sunday. We were just kind of living off the wonderful aroma of our prayer event that happened here on Friday, a week ago Friday. Praying for our nation, praying for wholeness and unity of the church across Canada. You do know that we're the nation's capital. And in this place, we should want to see God abide in a very special and unique way as the seat of parliament, the seat of our government is in this city. And it's on our watch that we see these things. It's on our watch where we have the opportunity to change the course of history by being people of prayer. It's a moving, moving event. And then last Sunday, I felt torn. There was like half of you were just, I think, would have cheered on Dr. Gimba for another half hour. And others said, no, I think we kind of wrap it up now. That'll be all right. So I just feel, felt kind of torn. I, I think what we'll do is we'll have uh, Dr. Gimba back again because I think that he had lots more to say. And um, so we'll, we'll do that again in the future. And just to put the record straight, I'm not that old. Just, let's, just, let's just put that out there. I'm not that old. A little older than Pastor Ben. Uh, he's just as forgetful. And um, anyways, I, I wish him well downstairs there. We're going to talk about something important today. We're going to talk about the, um, the logo for the Free Methodist Church in Canada. And I do that with our, with our bishop here this morning, and just, just wanted to say that. So anyways, <laughs> looks, a little, looks a little blurry up there. Maybe you can see it all right. In your, uh, maybe you can see it all right. If you've ever gone to the Free Methodist Church in Canada, you would see that this logo is there. And I have to admit, when I first saw it, I wasn't all that excited about it. But as I dig into it, I'm, I get more excited about it all the time. So you take a look at what's happening to the church I was reminded of again this morning when I was talking to someone in the foyer. What's happening in the church universally, especially in North America, just seeing it, just, it's just it's between one ditch and the other, and it's just trying to figure out its moorings and trying to figure out where on earth are we going. And when we talk about the logo, we're going to talk about what's the foundation of the Free Methodist Church in Canada. We're going to talk about what are the issues and what, are, like, what is it that guides us? What are the guiding principles? There's a lot of thought that was put into this logo. This has been around for a little while now. It gives us the opportunity over the course of the next several weeks. We're going to talk about it. Um, I, I want to start by just taking a look at the uh, four corners. and You're going to see the same thing, but the four corners really reflect what's called the Westling Quadrilateral. It's a big name. I sound important when I say it. it I feel good about that. Um, the red box down in the, down in the corner uh, and I think, Grant, you're going to be speaking about this, speaks about Scripture. Um, when, when Wesley was talking about this, he was talking about there are like four lenses that we use in order for us to see and to interpret life. One of the very first cornerstones of all of that, the foundation, is Scripture. And for us as Free Methodists, that is really, really important. Life will come and life will go, culture will come and culture will go, but the bedrock of all of that is our faith comes in what we believe and what we hold true to. Scripture is the bedrock of that. The diamond or the hourglass that's beside that is tradition, talks about time and how we have a history, we have tradition, and that helps frame who we are. 
We don't make these things in a bubble, but we also we use scripture and we use tradition and we use, we use our reason. God's given us a brain. And some are way smarter than me. I rely on them as you sometimes rely on me as we interpret it and as we move forward. We use our brain when we come to it. And then we, in all of this, we have our experience. And that is the diamond up on the left-hand corner. It's the same on yours as on mine at the back. Go figure. It's beautiful. Just keep everything straight. So there's those four things. Those are the four corners. Those are the four bedrocks of all that, that we are and all that we do. All the way around that, as you'll see, is a circle. And that speaks to creation and that we live in this life and God is working in and through his creation. And it groans and it moves and he works in and through his creation. And how important that is. Then the second last thing I want to mention um, in a couple Sundays, we'll have communion together. And if you take a look at this, you'll kind of see on the right-hand side, you'll see it looks like a person. Can you nod your head? Does that look like a person? This is stick people. This is my, this is my kind of people. A head and his body. And he's taking communion on the other side, the bread and the juice. Kind of delve into it. That's, that's the meaning of what's there. This morning, so th- th- that is the, the logo very much how, it, how it's put forward and how it expresses us. And over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to delve into each one of these. Now, if you, I don't know, some of you cannot see uh, into the corner, the very corners, here and over here is, the, uh, is uh, in our special stained glass windows. You'll see that that's what's represented there. And we'll be talking about these others as they all fit into that. Well, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Really, gl- really glad that you were here. And um, no, got to get your money. Got to get your money's worth today. Central to our faith is the cross. We've been singing about that this morning, and if you take clearly, in the center of our logo is the cross. Jesus is the center. Have you ever wondered what the cross means to the church? Jesus stood at the crossroad of life. Jesus stands at the crossroads of history, as in a cross. Time begins with Jesus. There's a hinge of time with Jesus. There's something important about Jesus and the cross. And it's central to our logo. The entire world measures time by his coming. He's the touchstone of truth. He's the foundation of our faith. He's the final proof that God exists. And one of the problems that we have in the course of time is that we begin to lose touch of the power that it possesses. We lose touch with the awe of it. And perhaps it's because we've heard it so many times. We need to see the cross to really see it as if for the first time. To allow it to change us, to touch it. To allow it to speak to us. From the great hymn, See from his head 
his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? What does the cross mean to the church? And what does the cross mean to you today? Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says, it's an important answer. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And we're going to come back to that passage again. The Apostles' Creed says this, I believe in Jesus Christ who was crucified. And when we say those words, we mean that the Son of God was murdered on a Roman cross at a place called the Skull, Golgotha, a hill, a, a garbage de, uh, dump outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And when we say that, we literally mean that that happened, that it's a, a fact, that if you had been there, you would have seen with your own eyes the slow, agonizing death of Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God. You would have seen it. You would have been witness to the humiliation of Christ as he died between two thieves. We would have seen the blood drip from his wounds. We would have heard him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cross is the heart of the gospel. And the, and the gospel is the reason for our existence. We have nothing to boast apart from the cross of Christ. That is us. That is the essence of who we are. Can't lay claim to any special intelligence or any special merit that recommends us to God. It's through the cross that we have access to God of what happens at the cross. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 puts it eloquently. There's no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no difference. We may dress a little bit differently. We, we, we look a little bit different, but there's no difference. There's no difference between the corporate lawyer and the drug dealer in Paris. There's no difference. There's no difference between a, a prostitute in a brothel in Rio and a refined graduate of Harvard. There's no difference between a gang member in downtown Ottawa and the most upright member of Arlington Woods Church. And sometimes there is that feeling that we are entitled. But it is the cross that makes the difference. It is the cross that gets us access to the Father. Not all of these other things. Apart from the grace of God poured forth at the cross, we would all be going to hell. Lest we forget what happened that day, that day of the crucifixion, that day on the cross... He took your place and he took mine. He died for me. He died for you. We don't talk about hell very often. Maybe for you today, it was a bit harsh. But hell is a reality. Just like it's a horrible reality that our Savior had to come and die. I just say if there was another way, I'm sure that God would have done that. He would have provided another way for us to be able to access to him. But he chose to allow his son, Jesus, his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross. 
It was a horrible way to die. Yet that's how our Savior of the world ended his life. But it wasn't so much about his, his physical suffering of Jesus that the Bible emphasizes. Rather, the Bible writers focus on what his death accomplished. We all know that he died for others. But what does that really mean? Whether you recognize it or not, you and I had punishment coming because of our sins which separate us from a loving God. But he stood in the breach. There's this great chasm between us and God. It's almost as if the cross tipped over. And we were able to walk across from one side to the other because of what Jesus did on the cross. We had this punishment coming. But he stood in the breach. He stood in the gap. He took your punishment and he took mine upon himself. Imagine. You'd be more inclined to die for someone who deserved it. He took my place. He died for me. Something incredible happened on the cross. There a truly innocent man died. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. When Jesus died, he took your place and he suffered for the penalty that, was, that you deserve. He went in the penalty box. Any of you watching hockey these days? He went in the penalty box for you, for me. He was innocent. He paid the price so that you could go free. Imagine this. This is truly beyond human understanding. Romans chapter 5 verse 7 says, Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Can I just tell you that only God's Son would do that? What are the implications of the cross? What are the implications for the cross for us today? In the Bible, the cross is always a place of suffering and death. In a practical sense, it means four things to the believer. The first is, is that it means the death to old self. Death to old self. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We can be free. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you've been healed. The cross means to us that we can die to our old self. We don't have to continue to live that way. Other faiths, other faiths, other religions have a very challenging time helping us to be free from our old self. That's what makes us distinct to our old life. The second is, is that the implication of the cross is, the, is death to self. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're going to have to live the way that we once did. We can be 
free of her old life and free to self. Third thing is, is the death to flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, the flesh with its passions and desires. We can move on from that knowing that those have been put to death. And then Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, which you read before, implication of the cross is, the, is death to the world. Death to the world. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross is essentially a confrontation with sin. It's a confrontation with sin. It means that the old life is over. And we can never go back to it again. It means that there's a brand new you. It means that we make a, a decisive break with sin. And we set out to follow Jesus day by day. The, the, the cross is God's way of saying... You can have your sin or you can have my son, but you can't have it both ways. You're not, you're not going to continue to live here and follow my son. What he did on the cross takes care of these things so that you can move forward in wholeness and live a holy life. To die to the world means that the things that, you, that used to seem so important... Your drive for money, the compulsion to power, the need to dominate, the desire to win at any cost, the lust for sexual fulfillment, the desperate search for the approval of others, no longer rules your life because you're saying no to these things and you're saying yes to Jesus Christ. And on that cross is this crossroad of saying no to this and moving into this wholeness of Jesus Christ on the cross. Has anybody experienced wholeness through Jesus Christ? Are you sure? Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You live by a new standard, and that means saying goodbye to the old life. Jesus said, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. Those words mean exactly what they say. All the way along, there will be people of this world that will try to pull us in. There's this gravitational pull that wants to pull us in the ways of the world. But this cross stands in the center and says, will you follow me, Jesus Christ, or will you continue to prefer the old way? It's a constant battle. Every morning we get up. We, we're, that, we're that living sacrifice that wants to crawl off the altar and move back into the old ways, the old Mike, the old Mary, the old John, whoever you are. We claim the cross and we lift the cross high, say that my sins are forgiven and I'm going to live for Jesus today. These words mean exactly what they say. Unless you deny yourself and enter by the way of the cross, you're not a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Being a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ means that you go the way of the cross. And some of us over the course of time, we've said yes to Jesus, but we continue to flirt with the ways of the world. And we wonder why we're only, we're just lukewarm. It is a conscious decision to say yes to Jesus Christ. Not one toe on both sides. David Wilkerson, pastor of Times Square Church in uh, Times Square in, in, um, in uh, New York City, was, had the opportunity to be at his church. He's written the book, um, he's written several books. He says this, when you kneel at the cross, you're not going to hear an easy, soft word. Not at first. Even though the cross is the door to life, you're going to hear about death. Death to every sin. What are the commands of the cross? The New Testament gives us three commands of the cross. You're not to ignore these. If we do, we risk ceasing to be the church and simply become a religious social club. If you want to be the Kiwanis, do they do great work. If you want to be part of the Rotary Club, they do great work. But it's not going to change your heart. The commands of the cross. First one is, is you've got to carry the cross. You've got to carry it. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, we read it before. And then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Even before our feet hit the ground, Lord, how am I going to carry the cross today? Second thing is we boast in the cross. We boast in the cross. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. How easy it is. When we get up, I am a self-proclaimed man. There have been lots of times I think that this can't get done unless I do it. Anybody else ever feel like that? There are those times in my life where it is more about me than it is about Jesus. I cannot boast in myself, but in what Jesus Christ has done. I have no merit. I have no reason to come to the Father except for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I have to have that whacked out of me probably two or three times a week. Honestly. People around me that are smarter than me, they help me do that. You know what I mean. Third is we need to preach, preach the cross. We need to carry the cross. We need to boast in the cross. How did you get here? It wasn't by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Some of you have done a great job in doing that. Did you find at the end of the day that's not what you thought? What I'm finding interesting is uh, in some of my social media feeds, I'm, I'm listening to some of the folks that are in Hollywood, and what they're saying is, is that if I had my life to live over again, I wouldn't do what I've done. Why is that? Because they have found that at the end of the day, all of the money and all of the fame and all of the accolades that have come their way have left them empty. Nothing to boast in but the cross. Third is, is that we need to preach the cross. 
That's powerful. To preach the cross. That's why it's central to who we are as a denomination. That's why it's central to us as the church. For the message of the cross is foolishness. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wise wisdom of the world? For since in wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I am praying these days for the cross to light up on Parliament Hill for all of those who would see it. Because I, I hear from all sides the foolishness of men who rely on their own devices and their, and their own wisdom. We need a, a fresh pouring of the Spirit, what Eddie was talking about this morning, to pour out revival on our city, on our province, and in our land. The more I listen, the more... I don't even hardly know what to do with the feeling. It makes my gut sore. We need to lift up the cross because it is the only message that we have. We talk about politics. We may get a new person to parliament, but we won't change the hearts of people. All around us are people who carry a heavy weight of sin. They are sick in their hearts from the burden that they carry. And some of them, exasperated, are taking their own lives. You can see it in their eyes. You can read it in their faces. You can hear it in their voices. They long for something better. They wonder how they can be free of their sin. Where can they go? And the church has the answer. The answer is found in the cross of Christ. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the door, he was speaking of the cross. You cannot go to heaven unless you enter by the way of the cross. No wonder Paul gloried in the cross. It is God's plan to save us from disaster. Here is a, a personal question. What sin is keeping you from God today? Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it a hard heart of unbelief? Is it drunkenness? Is it an uncontrollable temper that you have? Is it cheating? Are you stealing? Is it adultery? Is it pride? Is it greed? Any one of these resonate with you today? I want to tell you the best news that you've ever heard. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your sin is. 
It doesn't matter how many sins you've piled up in your life. It doesn't matter how guilty you feel about some of these or how guilty you feel that think you are. It doesn't matter what you've been doing this week. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how many skeletons that are rattled around in your closet. I'm here to tell you unequivocally, the cross is God's answer to your deepest need. You do not need to continue to live in these things. The sense of guilt that you feel, overwhelming burden that you feel that you carry around, and the more you carry it around, the worse that it gets. And some of us have made up so many lies about the way that we live that we don't even know which lie is the real one anymore. The cross is God's answer to our deepest needs. And that's what theologians mean when they talk about the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not just a slogan. It's a profound spiritual truth. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, in John 19, verse 30, he meant that the penalty for sin had been paid in full. It is finished. What Jesus accomplished in his death was so awesome, so totally complete, that it could never be repeated. His work is finished in every sense of the word. There's nothing more God could do to save you. There is no plan B. There isn't. Plan A, the death of Christ was good enough and paid for it all. What we all want, we want something within. We want a power that can break the chains of sin and set us free. Some of us can hardly go to sleep at night because when we close our eyes, these things pop into our heads and we see our sinfulness before a holy God and we feel guilty. We want a power that can enable us to stand upright and to run and not be weary and to walk and not faint. Where can we find such power within? It's only in the cross of Jesus Christ. All that we believe is wrapped up in the cross of Christ. It is the central truth of the Christian faith and the preeminent event of human history. The cross is our message. The cross is our hope. It is our confidence. It is our badge of honor. It is the emblem of suffering and shame. Even though the world despises it, the cross, we are going to rally to it. In this sign and this alone, we will conquer. So what should we do? Let us love the cross. Let's preach the cross. Let's stand by the cross and never be ashamed of the cross. Hold it high as the banner of our salvation. Lift it up in a world that needs hope. There's no power greater than the power of the cross. It's the only power that can lift men and women out of their sins, release them from their condemnation, give them a new life, and set them in a new course, a new direction. Christianity is supremely the religion of the cross. Though the world may not want to hear it, we must preach it over and over and urge men and women to run to the cross of Jesus Christ. 
When we preach Christ crucified, rebel souls will lay down their weapons and join us in worshiping, as Savior, worshiping him as Savior and Lord. Someday we're going to stand and we're going to, in heaven we're going to, and we're going to sing together, worthy is the lamb that was slain. This is our message to the world, church, that Jesus died on Good Friday, Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead and has gone to be with the Father. Let the people of God rejoice in the words of Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. <clears throat> I was thinking about this, the old rugged cross, the one that we uh, often sing around Good Friday time. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. That is our hope. That's our hope.